time for re-engineering your finances with the founder of CP Weldy Group, Charles Weldy. Well, hi there, and welcome to another edition of Reengineering Your Finances. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Charles Weldy, founder and certified financial planner at CP Weldy Group, serving you in the Delaware and Chester County areas with an office in Chad's Ford, PA, on Route 52. You can find uh, Charles online at cpweldygroup.com or check the description of today's show for contact information. On today's program, we're going to be talking about putting off financial decisions and actions and how healthy or unhealthy is that. We know procrastination most of the time is not a healthy thing, but you might be surprised. There are a few things that maybe aren't so bad to put off to deciding or figuring out later in life. So we'll dive into all of that. But first, let's welcome into the show, Charles. How are you doing this week, my friend? I'm doing real well, Walter. How about yourself? Yeah, doing great and enjoying the fall weather that we've had at our at our fingertips these last couple of weeks and best time of year, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, tonight, uh, I'm from Philadelphia, and tonight the uh, Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles are playing on national TV, so I'm going to make sure I get out of the office and enjoy the game. Now, I know uh, this will be we'll be able to hold you accountable here because I, I know that by the time someone listens to this show, that game will be over, so... Do you have a per- prediction, and we'll see if you ended up being right? Do you think the Eagles pull it out? Uh, I'm always for the underdog, so I'm an Eagles fan. So I'm thinking, like, tonight the Eagles will win. It'll be a tough game, and, you know, they're kind of be fortunate to win down in Dallas. But mm-hmm. I'm predicting 27-24 Philadelphia Eagles. All right, 27-24. Uh, bagels on me if you uh, if you nail that score exactly right, okay? <laughs> All right, I like cream cheese and the bagels too, right? All right, perfect, perfect. Wait, just, just plain, or are we going like salmon cream cheese or honey uh, cream cheese? I like the uh, toasted onion. With, uh, oh, toasted with onion. Cheese. Ooh, okay. Yeah. All right, a little onion and chive uh, mixture in there. That's not bad, yeah. Okay, absolutely. all right, all right. Sounds good. We'll see what they got at the store. We'll figure out <laughs> which one to do. All right, well, let's talk about procrastination and putting things off a little bit on today's show because, ah, okay, a lot of things in life we like to probably push off, and especially financial things sometimes we'll put off the planning and the paperwork and some of the things that are involved. And I'm just curious, Charles, we're going to throw out some different scenarios today. Are these things good to put off and actually delay our decision in some cases? Or is procrastination always going to be bad? Or does it kind of depend on somebody's situation as we know? You know, that's an, a common answer here on the show. So we'll kind of see where these different things stand. And we'll approach it from some different angles here. Let's start talking about taxes and deferring taxes. A lot of people like to put off having to pay that the, that tax on the money that they earn and get. Uh, you don't really think about it that way, but it's kind of a form of procrastination, right, Charles? It is. I mean, you know, most of us have 401ks or IRAs, and, you know, we've been taught and trained over the years to maximize our contributions to those plans. And what happens is, you know, we're putting in X amount of dollars a year and the growth of those accounts over the years. When we eventually retire, you know, a lot of us uh, have an idea what it's going to be worth, but we, we don't have an idea what it's going to be taxed at, what rate it's going to be taxed at. So I would say that when it comes to deferring taxes, I mean, it sounds like a cop-out answer, but it really depends. It depends on, hey, what is your tax bracket today? What's your anticipated tax bracket tomorrow? Uh, do you want to pay tax on the seed, which is the amount of the IRA or the 401k that you currently have? Or are you willing to let it grow and eventually pay tax not only the seed, but the growth of that seed? Uh, it also depends, Walter, on a couple other things, your marital status. Even if you're married, as a general rule, you know, married people pay less taxes because they're 
uh, income brackets are a lot higher at reduced tax rates than a single person. Well, eventually, you know, most people, you know, who are married are either going to get divorced or one is going to predecease the other. And when that happens, the remaining spouse is, is filing as a single individual. So the same income could be taxed at higher rates. So that's a consideration. And then again, you know, the size of your IRA. I mean, uh, the greater it is, obviously, you know, if, if you pass away and, and someone else inherits it, you know, chances are if it's not a spouse, if it's a son or daughter or grandchild, they might be working and, you know, they're going to have to add that IRA balance, uh, you know, pro, pro rata, I guess, over 10 years. Uh, to their uh, W-2 income so they could get taxed at much higher rates. So there's, you know, the answer is it depends. But I'll tell you a case that I recently worked on. I had a gentleman that had a little over a million dollars in his IRA and he's only 68 years old. Hey, you know, you're getting up there in age when you say he's only 68. Only 68. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. But the reality of it is, is he had money in other places outside of IRAs that he could live off of. So what I noticed was like, hey, when this gentleman's 72 years old and he has to take roughly 4% of a million and a half dollars, which is $60,000 a year, and we add that to his Social Security and we look at his lifestyle, he's actually going to be taking RMDs, required minimum distributions out that he doesn't really need to live off of. And, uh, you know, he's going to be paying tax on them. And we decided, hey, you know what? It might be more advantageous to start paying tax on that seed today. So that fast forward, maybe five, six, seven years down the road, the bulk of that money in his IRAs are now in Roth IRAs. And he'll never have to take money out and be taxed on it. And the money he does take out of those Roth IRAs will never be taxed again. That's so it depends. Good. good. Yeah, it depends on that one for sure. And again, that might be a common theme as always as it is here on the show, but some of these might be uh, a little bit more definitive. All right, so deferring taxes, good debate there. What about putting off uh, something else? Let's talk about debt and eliminating debt. If we put that off, how bad is it? Well, I don't know. I, I'm from the old school, and you know, my thought process is if they, you have investment accounts and the market's down by 20 30%, you have a lot more anxiety if you have debt as opposed to if you had no debt. But I'm open-minded. I know there's people out there that say, hey, I can get a 10-year home equity loan or 10-year mortgage at less than 3%. I can make uh, you know, maybe 5% of my investments. There's an arbitrage there. I don't necessarily buy into that, but you know, I'm open-minded that you know, it might be uh, advantageous for cer certain people to do that. I, I want to tell a little story about debt, which uh, kind of like opened my thinking because I was very closed-minded towards this. But uh, when people mention the word reverse mortgage, like a lot of times, like, hey, you know, that's that's something somebody would do as a last resort. But there's a story. I don't know this fellow individually or, or personally, but um, he was from Western Pennsylvania. He had a four hundred thousand dollar house. He sold the house. He had no mortgage. He wanted to move to Colorado, be close to his grandchildren. A comparable house in Colorado was seven hundred thousand. What he did, he could have like taken three hundred thousand out of his investments, had no mortgage. He could have taken a three hundred thousand dollar mortgage in his new property in Colorado. What he chose to do was he chose to take out a reverse mortgage for three hundred thousand dollars. Now, you know, on the surface, it would appear like why would somebody do that? Well, here's here's the end result of that transaction. I think he had to pay about twelve fifteen thousand dollar upfront fees. Uh, you know, he has to pay his real estate taxes every year for the rest of his life as long as he's in that property. He has to pay for insurance on the property and maintenance. But outside of that, he has no mortgage payment. So basically, when he did the math, 
He looked at a comparable place to live in Colorado. He couldn't even rent an apartment, a really nice apartment for what it would cost him to live in that, you know, $700,000 house with a reverse mortgage in Colorado. Uh, fast forward, if like the, the, um, you know, the interest rate on the mortgage is like 4%, and I think it's currently three, but it can rise. And uh, the house goes up by 2% a year. He, he partakes in all the appreciation of the house. It still is his, and he never has to make a mortgage payment. So the point I want to make about eliminating debt, you know, from the old way of thinking, you know what, it makes sense to pay down debt so you don't have that interest expense. But today, the world's a little bit different. I'm more open-minded that people take it on debt if they're leveraging something that's going to grow uh, beyond the debt service that it takes to pay that debt off. Does that make sense? It does make sense, absolutely, and I think that's uh, that's a, a good debate to have with people. Interesting how your perspective on that has changed over time. Again, in certain circumstances where that comes, um, you know, as an opportunity to maybe do something a little bit different and uh, make sure that somebody's got some options. It's all about discovering your options in retirement planning, and that story is a great example of how somebody was able to still accomplish their goal in a little bit more unique route. But fantastic that they were able to do so. All right. What about uh, setting up legal and estate planning documents? That seems so far in the future. Can't we wait a little while and and put that decision making off? Yeah. I mean, when I think about estate planning documents and legal documents, I think of wills, powers of attorney, you know, as a general rule. So, you know, I guess the wills, you know, most people should have a will because if they don't have a will in writing, generally speaking, the state they live in is going to have a will for them. And, you know, depending upon whether you have you know, a spouse or kids, I mean, you know, the, the assets are going to go a certain way depending upon the state you live in. So it's always good to take the time to create a will, sit with an attorney, you know, put things the way you want them, get them in order. That's number one. But probably as important or maybe more important are powers of attorney. So if somebody gives me like their uh, investments to uh, invest and I like double or triple that amount, but they go into a coma and, you know, maybe the spouse needs X amount of dollars out of that retirement plan uh, and calls me up. I can't get that money to the spouse because her husband's my client in this example. And if he had a power of attorney naming his spouse as power of attorney, then that transaction could occur, you know, flawlessly. So one of the things I find is most people don't have those three key documents, a will, a financial power of attorney and a medical power of attorney. So, um, you know, I remember years ago when I started in this business, one of the, my mentors told me, Charles, just don't focus on the financial aspects of retirement. Focus on the non-financial and they are how assets are titled. Do they have these estate, you know, planning documents? Do they have wills, powers of attorney? And one more thing, Walter, is like most people aren't aware of, you know, even if you don't have a will, if you have an IRA or life insurance contract, you know, as a general, well, you've got to name beneficiaries, you know, or, you know, that's part of the application. So whatever your will says doesn't really matter because the beneficiary designations on your IRA, 401k and life insurance trump, you know, what, uh, you know, it's, it says in your will. But, you know, there's other assets that people have that aren't IRAs or life insurance, such as a brokerage account, you know, that's not in an IRA or money at the bank. And here's the thing that I learned years ago, and I think it's fairly important, is when you go into these institutions and open up accounts, you know, generally speaking, the people that are opening the accounts for you, whether investment advisors or administrative people, they would seem to believe that, hey, upon your demise, you know, you want this money to go to a family member, whether it's a spouse or a, ch- a child or whatever. 
And there's forms called TOD, transfer on death, right? Uh, that they can add just like a beneficiary form to these non-IRA, non-life insurance accounts. And, you know, I'll ask you this, like, why do you think like probably, and I'm just making this number up, but I think it's really high, like over 85% of the people that open these accounts don't ask the client or prospect or, you know, customer, hey, you know, if you pass away, where do you want this money to go? Why do you think they don't ask that question? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it seems like it would be an important question to ask. It is an important question. But again, I don't want to cover everything with one blanket, but, you know, by and large, like these banks and some of these brokerage companies, by not adding the TOD or not asking that question, when that person passes away, the owner of the account, family members have to deal with, you know, that bank or, you know, brokerage account, you know, custodian. And basically the conversation goes something like this. Hey, you know, we really had a great relationship with your parent. We told them that upon their demise, we would take care of you. So it's a way of these organizations to market to the next generation, you know, by really like- wow. Doing the right thing by saying like, hey, you know, do you love your grandkids? You know, make sure we name your grandkids as contingent beneficiaries on this account, blah, blah, blah. And again, that's one of the things about this industry that. So it's like using the death of a person as a marketing opportunity. Well, I, yeah, exactly. So I have you know, maybe not quite that evil, but it like it doesn't it, taste yeah. right, right? Exactly. I mean, I have like uh, I have an older clientele, you know, as a general rule, and and this past year since COVID, we had like uh, probably about. seven to 10 people that passed away. And I have a relationship with an attorney and I noticed that like, gee, you know, this attorney, she doesn't do any marketing. People are just passing away at a certain age. And, you know, uh, again, like if their documents are titled properly, you know, the time an attorney has to spend to organize the estate and to like, you know, administer the estate is greatly reduced. So uh, setting up legal and estate documents, very bad to put off. You know, we all should have done it yesterday. Good points. All right. Another topic for you, but just as important, delaying the start of your Social Security. Now, that's one that a lot of people don't necessarily want to do, uh, but some people do. Some people say, I don't need it at 62. I'll delay it for a little while. So is that form of procrastination beneficial or not so much? Uh, I don't, you know, again, it depends, but let's, let's look at a single person. So if I have a single person coming in here and they're saying, Hey, Charles, like, um, I just retired. I'm, you know, 60, I'm 61 years old. When should I take my social security at 62, 67 or 70? I mean, I'll ask them like, Hey, you know, Bob, uh, you know, what do you think your life expectancy is? You think you're going to live to 80? Do you think you'll live well beyond 80, which I define as 84 or greater? Or do you think you're going to pass away before 80? And again, nobody has that, you know, crystal ball. But by and large, if someone says, like, I'm going to live well beyond 80, then I generally try to spend down their existing investment accounts and let that Social Security benefit grow. Because, um, you know, up to I guess it's like your full retirement age, which you know right now might be around number 67 to 70, that account grows by or the benefit grows by 8% a year. So that's 24% more benefit. Uh, I don't know an investment that's growing by 8% a year. So, you know, I would just say that as a general rule, single people, I look at their life expectancy. Now, when you're married, it's a lot different. Like I'll use my example. I've worked outside the home all my life. My wife was a homemaker and basically, you know, raised our three children, didn't really make a lot of money outside the home. Her social security benefit is real small. Let's just call it $500 a month. 
Well, you know, at 62, I could have said, all right, you know, hon, why don't you take your social security benefit? It won't be 500 a month, it might be 400 a month because you're taking it early. But what I did is I waited until she was full retirement age. In her case, it was 66. Then I had her take her benefit of 500 a month. But what happens is when I take mine at age 70, let's just say mine, I'll make a number up. I think it's like about 3,500 a month. My wife would probably get somewhere around, you know, half of, you know, three grand, which is 1,500. So my point is this. If she took it early, you know, at 62, her benefit, her, her benefit that she'd get off of me when I turned 70 would be a lot less than 1,500 a month. But so again, like I, you know, I kind of go around circles here, but my point is that you got to look at each individual case differently. And one thing that most people forget when they look about, so look at social security benefits is the taxation of them. And the key too is like, you know, uh, if 85% of your social security benefit is subject to taxation and you're in say the 22% tax bracket, you might be given back one or two social security checks. Uh, you know, to the government in form of taxes, where it might be better to look at the whole picture and maybe like figure out, hey, what's the ideal month, year for husband and wife, you know, to take their social security benefit, you know, taking all these factors into consideration. So uh, long winded answer to it depends, you know. Yeah, well, I, when it depends, it usually does have a, a longer explanation of why, right? So exactly. Yeah. If it were more cut and dry, then the uh, explanation wouldn't need to be as long. So, but it, that's what's so important is to understand the nuances for why that varies from person to person. So, exactly. very very helpful. All right. Last but not least, we're talking about things you can put off, or maybe it's not such a good idea to put these things off. Getting a plan in place. Is that okay to put off, or are we uh, heading down the wrong path there, Charles? Well, I, I guess I'm a little biased in my answer because I'm a financial planner. I love doing plans. And, and basically- yeah, I, I kind of set you up with a softball there. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you know, the beauty of a plan is like, you can see whether you're taking too much risk or not enough risk. I mean, I met a gentleman back in May of this year, right now it's almost October, and he had over 90% of his money in stock. And the thing of it is, is like his lifestyle was like pretty basic and there was no need for him to take all that risk. And, and basically by doing a plan, we actually like greatly reduced the risk. It didn't do much in terms of his you know, return because you know whether he doubled or tripled his account balance really didn't matter to him. But if it went down 50%, he would have freaked out. So the beauty of a plan in that instance was we took a lot of risk off the table. The guys, you know, he didn't even realize the risk that he was taking. I mean, his head's on the pillow at night, you know, regardless of who the president is, you know, uh, whether taxes are up, down or sideways, he's going to be fine because he's just taking enough risk based upon the return that he needs to make or expects to make. So that's one example. Um, in terms of a plan, asset location, we talked earlier about like taxation. Well, you know, a lot of people have, you know, X amount of dollars in their retirement plan. It doesn't keep me up at night what they have in there today. What keeps me up at night, Walter, is like, hey, what is it going to be worth like 10, 15, 20 years down the road? And at 6%, money doubles every 12 years. And the point I want to make is like, again, you know, asset location, how much is in tax free? How much is in tax deferred? How much is in taxable? Those three allocations will be like optimized once a financial plan's done if someone's doing it correctly. So, um, you know, getting a plan, it's really bad to put off because actually if people got a plan done, maybe they retire sooner because, hey, you know what? They already hit that magic number. Or people that are thinking of retiring in the near future might work a couple extra years because, hey, you know what? It looks like you're going to run out of money at age like 87. 
So uh, getting a plan, you know, uh, it's really bad to put that off. I think it's probably the best investment most people can make is getting an objective financial plan done that really incorporates not just um, income planning, but tax planning. There you have it, the skinny on putting off a financial plan and why that's not the greatest idea in the world, but also the discussions over setting up legal and estate documents and should you or should you not put those things off in the future? Should you uh, worry about delaying the start of your Social Security or not? Is that a bad thing to procrastinate? Or what about taxes? We covered it all on today's show. And so if you have some more questions about this or would like to get a review of your financial plan, it's easy to do so. Just reach out to Charles by calling six. 610-388-7705. You can get a complimentary review in meeting with Charles to discuss these things. 610-388-7705. And we just scratched the surface on today's show. It's all about getting that full plan in place. And that's where Charles can step in to help. cpweldygroup.com is the website. That's cpweldygroup.com. And you can also find all the contact information in the description or the show notes section of today's show. Charles, thanks for the help, and we'll look forward to chatting with you on the next episode. Thank you, Walter. Appreciate it. Have a good one. And uh, go Eagles and see if you get your bagels. All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, Reengineering your finances, new episodes every couple of weeks. Come back and join us for the next one, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening. Financial planning and advisory services are offered through Prosperity Capital Advisors, PCA, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Registration as an investment advisor does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The CP Weldy Group and PCA are separate, non-affiliated entities. PCA does not provide tax or legal advice.